Uh, today's word comes from the book of Acts 19, 21-41. You can follow along in your bulletin or if you have a Bible or your devices, however you want to read along. And this is the word of God. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we received the good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in, um, in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He said that God made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and um, Aristarchus, um, Paul traveling's, traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not to, uh, not to do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess, if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against, um, grievance against anybody, the courts are opened and there are um, proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he said um, he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. And this is the word of God.
Good morning, New Mercy. As you can see, I'm just not used to all this equipment. you so much. <laughs> okay, good morning, New Mercy. Um, <laughs> it keeps sliding. To, you know what? I'll just try to hold on. It's okay. I think I got Okay. Okay. As you can see, I'm not used to this. I'm used to preaching to young children, so we don't need any of this equipment. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, when uh, I feel like this is like my once a year uh, preaching debut, um, I, I'm usually in the other um, Hackensack site uh, preaching for the young children. Um, so I'm one of the uh, children's pastors here, uh, and it's it's great seeing some you know familiar faces and um, you know and also some new faces. If I could see out there, uh, there's a lot of new people that I haven't really met uh, before uh, because I am primarily in the other site. Um, but last week when we had our worship service, um, our outdoor worship service, it was really great to see everyone just coming together as a church. Um, you know, even though there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the different sites, but, you know, it was a great reminder that we are this one great church uh, and that God's been growing us and showing forth his favor um, upon um, each site. Um, so it was a blessing to be a part of that and just to see um, so many awesome new and old faces. So for the past couple of months, um, we've been studying the book of Acts, uh, which we learned are um, historical accounts of Jesus' disciples, um, specifically um, with Peter and Paul. And it's the book of Acts, it teaches us the authenticity of the Christian faith. And it's through Acts that God lays out the foundations of the early church. And today, as we look at Acts 19, we see that Paul is in the midst of his third missionary journey. And uh, and it takes place in Ephesus. And Ephesus was, it was a predominant city uh, of Asia, and because of its social, cultural, and economical influence at that time. Uh, and it's in this chapter that we come across a very unique story that primarily talks about idolatry. And it's through this riot in Ephesus that takes uh, place in the city that we see uh, this um, great uproar, this great riot. And in fact, this theme of idolatry is actually something that we see um, not only in the, uh, in the book of Acts, but also in the earlier parts of the Bible, in the Old Testament. You see it um, in many of the stories there, uh, and also all across um, Acts. And the three things that we are going to be covering today is um, how commonly idols are all around us. It's prevalent in our society, in our lives. Uh, the power and weakness idols have over us, and what it takes to break the idols. So idolatry is prevalent, and it's all around us. In today's text, we see Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts. He starts us off with a man named Demetrius, and he's a silversmith uh, that made idols as a living. 
And particularly this main idol uh, that the Ephesians worshipped uh, was uh, this idol named Ar- uh, Artemis. And Demetrius wasn't someone that was a follower of Paul and he went out to um, listen to Paul's teachings and, and, and the Gospels. In fact, he was not um, a very fond of Paul uh, and he was generally unhappy with Christians. Why? Because the city's religious, social, and economic structure depended on their idol practices. And Paul's teachings of the Gospels was affecting uh, their society, their social order. Um, If we could have the first slide up. Commentator Peterson, he writes, This chapter shows the potential of the Gospel to transform the life and culture of a city and its surrounding region. Paul's three-year ministry of teaching the word of the Lord in Ephesus touched people at every level of society and began to transform the religious practices and lifestyle of many. There was no other Greco-Roman metropolis in the empire whose body, soul, and spirit could so uh, belong to a particular deity as did Ephesus to her patron goddess Artemis. So basically, these um, idol practices are what generated revenue for these silversmiths uh, because their job was to build these statues and and, and these gods that the people of um, Ephesus worshipped. And with Paul's uh, gospel teachings, it was basically converting people uh, who practiced this religion into the Christian faith, which was making a profound economic uh, and religious effect on practically the whole province of Asia. So thus far, you know, these past um, couple of weeks as we've been talking about um, Paul's um, ministry, we see that how effective his, um, his ministry was uh, and how um, it was successful, right? But it also came with a very strong reaction by those who resented it um, because it was damaging their, their careers, their money, um, their religious uh, idol practices and worship, things that they were used to. And what's interesting about Demetrius is that he's able to summarize something that Paul has been teaching um, all throughout the book of Acts. In verse 26, um, if you look in your bulletin, it says, Demetrius says that Paul talks about gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And in that verse, um, what he's saying is that if you can make your own gods, they're not gods. And this has been spreading all throughout the city, um, and people were talking about it. And it made such an impact uh, that, you know, it was shaking um, their culture, right, their society. And if that's the case, then the topic of idolatry must have been something, um, uh, like an important part of Paul's teachings of the Gospels, so much that whenever he preached, um, idolatry was a topic that was frequently brought up. In Acts 17, um, you see that within the, well, you see Paul within the cultural intellectuals, the uh, philosophers, um, the elitists, um, in the cities of Athens and Berea and Corinth. And Paul had, uh, it's in this chapter that Paul basically had an opportunity to share um, with them his strong um, views on the Christian faith. Um, And if you look closely in Acts chapter 17, he essentially reaches to the main part of his argument um, about, uh, against idolatry. If we could have the next slide up. 
says in Acts uh, 17, verse 29, it says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. <laughs> this means that God can't be created or shaped by human hands. So Paul's been preaching the Gospels while talking about um, idolatry then, us Christians, right, if you're a believer, um, then we should also be more aware of this topic of idolatry when sharing about our Christian faith. So how does this all tie in uh, to our current um, context, our current um, modern culture, society? Well, we may not necessarily be bowing down to 10 different gods, um, but if you really hear some of the conversations um, you have with people, um, maybe at your workplace or um, if you're, you know, work in the city especially, um, you'll hear that people um, that at the center of American culture is ind individualism. People think that no one has the right to tell them what to uh, do or have the right to tell them uh, what to believe, and that instead they have the right to shape their own faith and that they have the right to worship a God that works best for them, that fits them. So if idol worship isn't necessarily bowing down uh, to ten different gods and praying to a statue, then what is it? Uh, if we could have our third slide up. Tim Keller, he says, As Christians, you may believe in God and understand the Christian teachings, read the Bible, and attend uh, church regularly, but if there's anything more than God that is functionally more important to your happiness, your identity, your hope, and your meaning, then that is functionally your God. So it's whatever that's in your life that becomes more important than God to you. Um, David Clarkson, I think in the 1600s, um, a Puritan in a sermon called Soul Idolatry, he says that idolatry is when anything is more valued than God, more desired than God, more sought than God, and more loved than God. It becomes your great source of happiness um, that defines your identity, um, your hope, and your sense of meaning in life. Um, those are your idols. And I think idolatry isn't necessarily doing bad things, but it's taking the good things that you have in your life and turning them into your ultimate, your central things, the things that you can't live without. And I think um, idolatry, um, it, could, it can look something like this. Yeah, I believe in God and go to church um, every Sunday, but if I you know, achieve these successes or get this, um, then I'll be really someone important, right? Uh, then I'll be happy and safe, and everything in my life will be great. It'll be perfect. And what that means is that all of these things, these good things that you have, which are ultimately uh, given to us from God, um, what is it, honestly, that we have that doesn't, hasn't been given to us, right? Uh, these are all gifts that we received from God. And these good things are, are things that we are um, using and, and turning into our main, our, our central thing. For example, I think, you know, things that I see so regularly, so often, um, even in my own life, uh, that's uh, sometimes that I struggle with, it's family, uh, which is a powerful idol. Um, you're desperately seeking um, your parents' approval, or uh, it can be your children. Uh, if you ha have kids, you want them to be successful and just do well, excel in everything. 
uh, not that doing the best you can for your parents or providing your children with the best opportunities aren't important, they are. Um, but if your parents' approval or your children's successes become your ultimate, your main goal, then I think there's going to be um, some issues that you're going to have to deal with. It can be your career, your money, your performance, achievements, your physical appearance, your romantic relationships, the list goes on. It's endless. These are all things that are good, but if these things are what defines you and gives you your value, your worth, then you've made them into idols. One of the commentators um, said that uh, during um, you know, the time of uh, the text that we read, um, there was a God for everything, right? Uh, there was, uh, I'm sure you guys remember back in history class, long time ago studying this, um, there was a, a war God, a, a financial God, agricultural God, a fertility God. Uh, actually, Artemis was um, known um, for, uh, as a fertility goddess, uh, and that's why, you know, it was very prevalent in that culture, um, a God that brought security and safety. And the people, if you look, you know, in, in uh, this chapter, the people during this time were, they were overtly uh, worshiping um, these idols that I think in our current society uh, that we're trying to hide. Uh, meaning they knew exactly what they were worshiping that we are all completely un unaware of. Uh, any relationship, activity, any, in, anything in this world can be turned into our savior a kind of God that gives us hope and meaning. Uh, and in reality, we won't really call it that, um, yet we are worshiping it. It fills you and consumes you because you become uh, so, like, so involved with it um, that everything else becomes secondary. Right? Everything else gets pushed to the side and becomes secondary in your life. My second point is this. Idols are powerful and have a great deal of control over you, but they're empty, doesn't give you anything. Um, we see that Paul is um, preaching against idolatry and there's a big riot that stirs up. And just by pressing against uh, this topic of idolatry, uh, you see a great violent response. Um, when I was reading this, <laughs> I felt like an interesting thought just came to my mind. And, I don't know, <laughs> like, I have uh, two children, um, they're ages three and, and one and a half, so they're fairly young, and um, my older son, Joshua, um, he has this obsession with his bottled milk. He <laughs> loves his bottled milk, and if you're a parent or, you know, know anything, or if you're a dentist, you know that you should not give a three-year-old a bottled milk because of the, you know, the effects that it may have in their teeth, or um, just, you know, it's just not good for them, right? So, but my son, he just loves it. Like every day, he'll ask for it around his nap time or when he's feeling tired or um, he'll just ask for a bottle of milk. And it's fortunate that you guys don't see it because if he does not get it, he throws tantrums. And probably like in a hack and sack, um, he'll probably ask for it <laughs> there. And uh, I'm sure my husband will, you know, just give it to him just to, so that he doesn't start going ballistic. Um, but if you try to reason with him what we try to do on a daily basis and tell him, you know, it's not good for you, you know, why don't you drink it out of a straw cup? Uh, he just goes crazy, right? There's no sense of reasoning with the three-year-old. It doesn't work, but um, he just goes crazy. And I imagine um, 
you know, the scene in the the um, the amphitheater in the uh, city of Ephesus, people are calling out, "Great is Artemis! Great is Artemis!" Right for like two hours straight. That's like Joshua. Bottle milk, bottle milk, <laughs> and I and I imagine it's something similar. Uh, maybe not as severe, uh, but I imagine all these little Joshuas running around and during that time and just you know crying out and just asking for whatever it is that he's uh, wanting and seeking. Um, and what I realize is that if you try to take something away from somebody that's good, um, the person will get a little upset or you know get you know get. Uh, a little sad, and they'll get over it. But if you try to take away something from someone that they can't live without, that becomes their ultimate thing, their source of meaning and comfort, or even their safety, they'll go crazy, right? They go ballistic. There's no sense of reasoning. They just won't be upset or sad. They'll go irrationally crazy. And that's the response that we have here, Um, there's chaos and utter confusion. Some people don't even know what you know, they're rioting against. They're just kind of like jumping in on what's you know, happening around them, and, and just, they're just rioting, right? So in that sense, idols have a great deal of power and control over us. But on the other hand, it doesn't do anything for us. It's empty. I, uh, it doesn't give you anything what you're looking for. And you can see that in this passage, uh, which is unique because in today's story, it doesn't um, end with a speech by Paul or um, any other disciples, um, but it ends with a city clerk. Now, commentators um, have said that Luke is being very careful here uh, when he writes this text um, because what the city clerk is saying is this. You say that Paul and the disciples are disrupting our society But in fact, you are the ones making it disorderly. There's a riot happening, and we don't even have a good reason for it. That's what the city clerk is saying. We can get into a lot of trouble for this, because Paul and his teachings have no fault here. There's no validity behind what we're doing. You see that social order is based on idols, but actually it's the violence, the violent response behind it, Uh, behind the idolatry that's disrupting the social order. And this is a clear, like, version of what you'll see all throughout the Bible, right? Um, The Old Testament and the New Testament talks about how idols never give you what you think they will give you. It never gives you what what you think they promise to give you. And in fact, it actually gives you the opposite of what they promise. They won't give you happiness or make you feel secure or safe. They won't give you love or self-esteem or value or worth. And I've seen it so many times around me, um, and I'm sure you guys have too. I knew someone who spent years and years of of building a multi-million dollar company. Um, He worked really hard and spent so much time and energy uh, into building his company and and making it into a uh, successful business. Um, And when he did become successful and it was time to retire, it devastated him. He couldn't move on and relax and kick back to what he thought retirement should be like. He didn't know how to value who he was as opposed to what he did because what he did um, became who he was. It became his identity. Work became his God. 
he couldn't feel good about himself without being incredibly busy. You should have seen him, um, you know, when he went through his retirement, he just, he actually just kept going to work. Uh, it was weird, like he shouldn't even be, you know, going, uh, and he should just kind of be relaxing and, and leaving all the responsibilities to the people that he delegated to, but he just couldn't stop. He couldn't feel good about himself without being incredibly busy, uh, and he couldn't stop because he didn't know who he was without it. And idols do that to you. And we try to justify ourselves and, and save ourselves by what we have and what we do. Uh, and we try to seek our um, self-worth by something, uh, by the things that we do all the time, which is actually the opposite of what the Gospels teach us. And yet we still feel inadequate and empty. Charles Spurgeon, he says, um, I wanted to do 50 things for God in order to be saved but then I realized all I, ha- all I had to do was look. I just had to believe. I just had to receive the salvation. And I think Paul and the disciples are teaching us that we don't understand really the heart of the Gospels because we made these idols into masters over our lives so we can save ourselves. And But you, you'll see that it doesn't get you anywhere. Um. I remember when I was uh, starting to date uh, Joe, uh, my husband, and, uh, you know, it was my first relationship, so I didn't know, like, you know, what I was doing. And, um, and uh, I'm sure, I think he, you know, said this to me, <laughs> but, I, but, you know, someone with, more, uh, with experience was basically giving me a, a advice about relationships. And um, what he was basically saying was, you know that if there's anybody in your life Um, that you love more than God, you will crush them with your expectations because you see how imperfect they really are. You'll always want to be loved and to feel good about yourself, but they will never be able to love you uh, the way that you are needing to be loved, right? And um, I think my husband said something like that to me too because of the expectations I had for him, But but there's truth in that. Um, Idols are empty, And yet they are incredibly powerful because they have great control over you, but they give you nothing in return. You see, if you're a thriving businessman or successful or any career that you have and you make, you know, um, success uh, your ultimate goal, uh, then you'll be okay, right? That's what the world tells us. Or you hold beauty with such high regard and um, striving to be physically beautiful and young and um, or if, you're chil- er, if you have children, um, you want them to love you and do well in life uh, by going to a great school and having a well-paying job or career, um, then you'll be okay. Or maybe you have parents, uh, bosses, or anyone in your life that you're uh, desperately seeking approval from. Right? Uh, we see it predominantly in our culture, uh, especially our Asian-American culture, um, but you know, in uh, New York or, you know, our work, our, um, our environment tells us that, um, you know, we have to do well and succeed, right? Even for myself, I feel like I made a covenant, covenant of approval with my parents uh, that, you know, I wasn't even aware of. Uh, but if you fail at it, it will bring you down and crush you. It's merciless. So what will it take to be freed 
from these idols. You see in this chapter how there's a huge uproar and Paul is almost killed because of his preaching against idols. He wanted to appear and go into the the crowd, but the disciples stopped him. Uh, And even some uh, uh, friends of Paul in in these um, high places of of society uh, that recently converted to Christianity um, had advised him not to go into the crowd because he would have been killed. That's the anger and rage idolatry has stirred their idol worshipers into. You see, idol practices... um, aren't just things that are created by man, so it must only have this psychological and phys- uh, physical dimension to them. But the uh, Bible talks about the evil forces and powers behind idol worship. There's a spiritual dimension to them with spiritually evil forces chained to these idols. And I think um, there's really only one way uh, to break away from them. Uh, Tim Keller, I think our church loves <laughs> Tim Keller, but he says that um, idolatry is seen in a spiritual metaphor as adultery. You see it in Hosea, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel because when Israel in the Old Testament turned to other gods, it was like a wife who was married turning to another man. The prophets in the Old Testament preached about this, saying how you are playing the adulteress. God is saying, when you place yourself into the arms of the other gods, you are being unfaithful to me, your true spouse. And in those times, the penalty for adultery was death. What this means is that Jesus Christ, he's our true husband, right, who stood uh, and died in our place and took on the penalty for our idolatry. He took the punishment that we all rightfully deserve so that he can judge evil someday and at the same time have us in his arms and embrace us. Even with all the world of the flesh and the devil brought all their forces onto him, Jesus still went to the cross, suffered into that storm, and died. You see, when Jesus cried out from the cross, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was really happening was that, you know, um, Pastor Key talked about this, the, um, to the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in his first sermon um, that we launched uh, for this series. Um, what was happening is that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit with the Trinity, there had never been a permanent break uh, in that uh, shared love experience um, between the three until the cross, until Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, knowing what Jesus was going to encounter, what he was going to face, he was willing uh, to go through the depth of the storms for his beloved children and endure whatever he was to face because he was able to see the greater union that was going to take place um, through his resurrection. He knew what was to come and the promise that was to be fulfilled. The shared love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was now extended and given to all of us, his children, right? And that was a greater promise, and that's what Jesus saw. You see, Jesus paid the price for our idolatry, and but it's not enough to just know this. Uh, and if you see yourself in any of this, what is it that we can do about it? 
um, a devotional that I recently came across um, said the marriage, if we could have that uh, uh, next slide up, the marriage of God to his people is solely the result of divine grace. To be a child of God is to realize on the one hand one's own, own unfaithfulness and on the other the unfailing faithfulness of God. When Christians rightly say we are his people, they acknowledge no right to that relationship except the costly grace and unshakable love of God. And I think what this is ultimately alluding to um, is that um, is this your career, your money, people, parents, children, beauty, whatever it is, the things that God gives us and places in our lives, you see that these aren't bad things. They're actually really good things. And God isn't saying to love these things less. What God is saying is that you need to have him as your center and love him more. You need to see Jesus dying on that cross and laying in a tomb at the cost of his own life for you. We have to see that, celebrate that, embrace that, and rejoice in it, uh, and be moved until your heart just raises up and goes, goes out to him uh, so that money just becomes money and people becomes just people. Yes, they're wonderful people, they're great people, but they can never be your saviors. And then you'll be free. And then you'll be able to break away from these chains of idols in your life. Um, at this time, if we could actually have the, the praise team come up, we're going to go into a, um, a time of prayer. And as we enter into a time of prayer, I think, you know, recently as I was just preparing uh, just for the sermon, um, God's been really convicting me uh, just about, you know, uh, the tagline for our act series is called Ordinary People uh, and Extraordinary God. Um, but as I felt the Holy Spirit telling me that, you know, we are broken and ordinary people. But because our God is an extraordinary God, he takes us to greater places of freedom. And he wants to transform us into extraordinary people, right? Because our God is an extraordinary God. So God calls us his royal priesthood. He calls us his prized possessions, his children. So let's ask God to help us to become people who are shaped and formed by his love. I think, you know, a lot of the times, yeah, we get so influenced by what the world tells us, their expectations from us, but forget that. I think um, the Gospels are that much greater and more powerful right, to overcome this broken world. Um, there may be some of you in here um, who have idols in your life that you're holding on to um, that you need to let go of. Or maybe some of you don't even recognize um, the idols that you guys have and you need the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to reveal those things to you. Um, ask God to make you more aware so that you can surrender those things and break um, the chains of these idols. Right? You want to break free from that. So let us pray. <laughs>